We're going to be in Luke 11. Now, we have been in a series, and it is about finding new life in ancient pathways. These pathways are some of the ways that we are shaped and formed to be like Jesus. And today, we're going to talk about the ancient pathway of prayer. Now, few things have confused and confounded the minds of earnest seekers after God more than prayer. It is difficult to define. It is broad, and yet at the same time, it's somehow specific. Um, It's mystical and practical. There's no right way to do it, and yet at the same time, there is a right way to approach it. There are structured prayers, and then there are Tremendous, there is a tremendous amount of freedom to engage in prayer whenever, wherever, and however you can. And not only that, there's also questions that arise when we think about prayer, like what good does it do anyways? What impact will my prayers actually have on my life and the world around me? Is it just ritual? Or is there actually something or someone of power that moves behind my prayer? One of the things that is true amidst all of those things is this, that as human beings, we feel drawn to connect with something or someone greater than ourselves. Now, like all of these ancient pathways, whether it's sacrifice or resilience or listening or interdependence, all the ones we've gone through, um, the reason why is because we were actually designed to pray. Um, And when we live according to how God created us, we are living with integrity. See, there's this incorruptible part of the image of God within us. And among other things, that part inside of us that God created is calling out for us to be made whole again. It is crying out inside of us to connect with the only one who can make us whole. It is crying out for us to cry out to him to pray. After all, that is what prayer is. Here is my most simple definition for prayer. This is what I'm working from for the day. Are you ready? Prayer is relationship with God. Not complicated, and yet at the same time, really complicated. (laughs) Now, um, one of the best days of my life was the day that I married my wife. We threw a huge party, we danced, we were two kids madly in love, ready to conquer every life challenge ahead of us, right? Now, um, or at least we thought we were. (laughs) And one of the things that you distinctly know about a wedding ceremony are there are these moments, these moments of a vow, right? The vow, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Now, could you imagine if we stood there on that wedding day, made those vows, and then never spoke to each other for the rest of our lives, right? That would be a problem, am I right? Right, we would fail to develop intimacy. Our marriage just flat out wouldn't work. We would never be able to build trust. We would never be able to be honest or transparent with each other, right? Without communication, we could not grow together. We would just grow apart, never really knowing each other never really growing into what we could be. See, we can't vow to follow Jesus and then never or seldom ever talk to him. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. We can't vow to follow Jesus and then close off our life to him, hold back parts of our hearts to give them to someone else, to lie, to hide. Listen, you were made for prayer 
because you were created to be in a relationship with God. And prayer is how we engage that relationship. Now, prayer is a really difficult topic to teach on because the Bible is full of instruction and example of how to pray, right? It's not a small topic. So today, I had to make a decision. Where do we land the plane, right? So we don't have to read the whole Bible today. We're going to just look at one place. And of all the places we would land, I thought we would just land in the place where Jesus says, this is how you should pray. (laughs) Keeping it plain and simple. So we're going to look at that, the famous known passage of the Lord's Prayer. Um, It's called that because the Lord made it. But really, the Lord's Prayer should be our prayer. The, the disciples' prayer that Jesus taught us. And our goal will be to follow it and emulate the way he teaches us. So Luke 11, chapter 1, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. I hope you're there. You ready? Wow. All right. You ready? Yeah, okay, that's better. I thought you were, fell asleep on me there for a second. I'm just going to say All right, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So in this passage, the first thing we observe about Jesus, are you ready? Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. In Luke's gospel account, Um, he highlights that Jesus prayed at critical times in his life. His baptism, before the calling of the 12 disciples, at the transfiguration, for Peter, before Peter's denial of him, and then finally for his murderers as he was being executed on the cross. That's important. But I also think it's somehow normal for us to think about prayer in big and desperate moments of our life. Maybe you've heard the phrase, there's no atheists in a foxhole. It's this idea when we approach the really difficult, hard moments, there's something in us that gravitates towards prayer. But Jesus also taught and modeled prayer in the ordinary and mundane parts of our life. Like right here. You know, when you read through the Gospels, you're going to be struck by how many times they mention that Jesus just went off to pray. Or like right here, he was just praying. Now, I want to point this out because I think it's really interesting. Jesus' disciples already know how to pray. Right? They're Jewish men who are steeped in a Jewish tradition. From a very early age, they have to memorize prayers. There's prayers in the morning, prayers in the afternoon, prayers that surround rituals. They've been to synagogue. They've heard other rabbis teach on prayer. Right? So you have to look beyond the question here. They're not just saying, Jesus, what are the right words to say? But they notice something is different about Jesus when he prays. Right? There's an energy that works through his life when he prays. Right? Something actually happens when he prays. People are healed. He is restored, refreshed. Things change. Life flows through him because of his prayers. See, there's a whole new dimension at work and his disciples have a front row seat to see this. And as they watch it, they can't help but say, teach us how to pray because we want to pray like you. Now, I want to be careful here as we approach the Lord's Prayer because what we could do is look at it like a formula. 
Like I walk up to the vending machine and hit F4 and the Twix bar falls down, right? Like if I say the right words in the right way, somehow I could conjure God's hand to move. And let me just tell you, God is not a cosmic vending machine, right? We don't just hit the right code and get what we want. But at the same time, what he does develop is a framework for prayer. Now, on one hand, we can simply recite this prayer and it has power. And we will. Actually, later, that's how we'll finish. We will recite the Lord's Prayer together. There's power. But what he is doing with each line of the Lord's Prayer is something so much more than just giving us the words to say. He's teaching us how to approach our Father in heaven. He's teaching us the obstacles in the way. And he's inviting us into this dynamic relationship where we communicate and commune with God and something changes. So this is what we see. Verse two, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone, everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. If I could summarize this entire prayer in one phrase, this is what I would say. Prayer is total reliance on God. Prayer is total reliance on God. I want to observe a few things that Jesus says and what he's getting at here. The first one is on fatherhood and friendship. Fatherhood and friendship. The prayer starts with our father. Our insinuates something, that there is a corporate element to this prayer, right? That he assumes as he's teaching us that we will, as the people of God, pray together. There'll be more on that later. Father, though, God wants us to come to him as a child, Childlike trust and dependence. Hear me, not childlike maturity. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, darn it, I'm, off. I'm not off the hook, right? He, he wants you to grow in maturity and health, and yet he wants you to come to him as a child would in trust and dependence for their, li for their life. Now, as we keep reading further beyond this, what we're going to see is Jesus will tell a parable and then give a short teaching about fathers and friends. See, that's no accident. He's actually interested in us relating to him as father and as friend. I have a privilege um, that I have a father that I love, that I respect and admire. And while I still look up to him as my dad, he has also become my friend as years go by. Listen, I know that not everyone, in fact, probably many of you don't have the same privilege, and I am so sorry. But you know, when Jesus taught this to his disciples, um, they had the same hurdle that many of us do. Right? These aren't the cream of the crop in society. A lot of them had the same daddy wounds, the same parent wounds, the same friendship wounds that we do today. It would have been an obstacle for them to hear and receive this just as much as it could be an obstacle for those of us um, that don't have a dynamic and healthy, good relationship with our own fathers. But here's the thing, is that he still teaches it to them, right? Knowing that will be an obstacle, and here's, here's why. He is confident that God 
can redeem that in his disciples' lives. And he is confident that he can do the same in yours. You can approach him as you would want to, your father. You can walk alongside of him as you would want to, a friend. The prayer continues with this word hallowed, which is kind of a weird word, right? Some of your translations may have said holy. The word literally means other. And so this is what it's supposed to conjure up inside of us. While father and friend communicate this idea of closeness, that God is accessible, that he's available, that he wants to walk alongside of you, at the same time, we're to remember that we come to him humbly because we're coming before a being that is unequaled in all of the universe, right? The closeness of father and friend does not diminish our respect for him, but magnifies it. The longer I walk alongside of my wife, Fallon, the closer we get and the more I respect and admire her. Now, I'm not trying to liken her to God. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I am trying to do is parallel the reality that there can be closeness that develops further respect, right? And what God wants, yearns for in us in prayer is to move close to him and yet at the same time to remember who he is. This is our attitude in prayer, but there's more. A cry for God's kingdom to break into the world. Your kingdom come. In Matthew's gospel account, um, you know, Jesus actually probably taught this multiple times, maybe even more times than the Gospels themselves include. But Matthew and Luke, they, they kind of put these different um, teachings that likely happened at different times in their Gospels in a certain way to teach a different thing. But um, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is an orientation of our prayer closeness and holiness of God and now a petition of God's rule and his reign to come on earth as it is in heaven. Another way you could say this is may the just rule of God in heaven be manifest here on earth. What this assumes is that there are pockets and places in the world where the rule and reign of Jesus has yet to take hold. Now, don't hear me and think, oh, Alex doesn't think he's the king of the universe. I do. He is the king of the universe. And yet, there is still rebellion, an unwillingness to bow our knee and submit our lives to the king. Now, it can be easy to say, yeah, I can look at the world around me and see that his kingdom has not fully come. And that's an appropriate and right thing to do and a right way to pray. And yet at the same time, what can be more difficult is to look within your own heart and examine whether or not there are pockets and places of rebellion in your own heart where you are resistant. I am resistant for the rule and reign of Jesus to come inside of me entirely. The psalmist wrote this, and I pray it would be our prayer too. And if you've never heard this, I encourage you to highlight it, to write it down, to memorize it, because this is a prayer we should all pray every day. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In his words, renovate my soul. It's all yours. If there is a pocket or a place of rebellion in me, I want your rule and your reign to come. 
This is how Jesus teaches us to pray. But also, a prayer for his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven is also an opportunity for us to reorient our lives to hope. Right? As a Christian, we believe that Jesus has come and will come again. And when he comes again, he will right every wrong. He will fix everything that is broken and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. We have hope of a better future and a better day ahead. And so when we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, not only is it God come in and renovate my soul, but it is to reorient our lives to the actual hope we have in Jesus. Amen? Because we all know we need that. And then the prayer progresses from this almost cosmic level down to the very practical, right? A prayer for our most basic needs. Give us today our daily bread. Like bread is literally the most basic food. It's not like I'm like, Jesus, give us this day my filet mignon, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, no, it's like the most simple thing that we need to survive. And there's a reason why Jesus goes there and it's because he wants us to orient our lives around the reality that we need him for the provision of every detail of our life not just the big moments or not just the big asks, but everything down to the crumb of bread that you're gonna eat later today, right? This is a prayer of recognition that God is our provider down to the most essential and basic thing, right? This helps us move away from the discontent of what we don't have to the gratitude of what he has provided for us. The prayer progresses that we need to be forgiven and yet, don't you love what he does? He combines it with our need to forgive others, right? We, we, we can feel that sense, oh, we've, we've messed up. We've made a mistake. God, please forgive me. And right directly connected to that, inseparable is our need to forgive our brothers and our sisters, right? This prayer orients our life around forgiveness, which means that we become a people orientated around grace, And as, it, and as it progresses and finishes in Luke's gospel, he says, lead us not into temptation. This is kind of weird, right? The English translation of this just sounds off, as if God would lead us into temptation. That's really not um, the way it actually reads when you read it in the Greek. A better way to understand this is this. We as human beings have a propensity to move towards sin, and we need God's help to protect us from ourselves, <laughs> When we say lead us not into temptation, what we are saying is that without God's leading, we would lead ourselves straight into sin. This whole prayer, it could be summed up in one way. Our entire lives depend on God. Okay, now Jesus doesn't stop right there. Right? So connected to this teaching on prayer, he adds a few more things. Verse five, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my kids are already in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. 
Now, Jesus tells a parable, and it's important to understand that a parable is a a short story that um, has one particular point. There's one thing that um, you're supposed to walk away with as a teaching point in the parable. Now, you could miss this because of the culture, but in Jesus's day, if you were listening to this parable, you would be on the edge of your seat because you would know the felt pressure of hospitality right? It was embedded within their community, the idea that if someone came to you, didn't matter what time of day, um, and needed your hospitality, you would provide them food, you would provide them lodging, you would provide them a place to be and have a good attitude about it, right? So this guy feels this immense pressure because his friend shows up in the middle of the night and says, hey, I'm here. And he's like, ah, I don't have anything to offer you. And so in his desperation, he runs over to his neighbor's house He knocks on the door, open up, I need your help, right? Now, houses back then were like one room, okay? So this guy finally got his kids to bed, which if you're knocking on my door, ringing my doorbell at midnight, and I've already like done bedtime for three hours, I'm probably not in the best mood, so please don't do that, okay? right? Like it takes me a long time to get my four kids down to sleep. And here's this guy finally gets his kids to sleep, one room house, and his neighbor's knocking on his door saying, give me some bread. Ugh, annoying, right? Now, it's not because of his friendship, but because the persistence of this guy that his neighbor moves to helping him. Now, we're not to think of God as a cranky neighbor who doesn't want to help us. That is not the point of this parable. Remember, one point. The point is that we should be as persistent and bold and shameless in prayer as a guy in that situation would be, right? Now, Jesus is gonna double down on this idea because he knows there's obstacles that prevent us from doing that. Verse nine, he's continuing to build on this idea to pray with persistence, okay? He says, so I ask to you, ask and it will be given to you, Seek and you will find. Knock and the doors will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. To the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The door will be opened. Not, I'll think about it if you knock. Not, I'll reluctantly move towards you when you ask. Not, I'm busy, so keep knocking and maybe you'll get my attention, but the door will be opened. Prayer, persistence, boldness, shamelessness. And here's the reality. He will always be there, always present, always answering, always moving toward you. Now he doubles down on this idea right? He wants you to approach prayer with persistence. And now he's going to continue to reinforce this idea. Verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give you a scorpion, which what a weird thing to say. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like I would never think to put an egg and a scorpion together, but Jesus does, right? Verse 13, if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Right? So what he's saying is that we who have sin and brokenness in our life, evil, we move towards our own children and delight to give them something good. 
how much more would an all good, all loving and all powerful God move in our favor if we ask? My life is full of answered prayers. Probably more than I could ever even comprehend. I think it's important for us to take a moment and sit and think about that, right? How many prayers have we uttered to God? How many of them do we actually know how he answered them or not? What I see here and what I know is that God moves in our favor. God responds to our prayers. And if you just took a moment to sit and reflect on all the things that you've prayed for over your life, all the ways God has moved towards you, right? It would evoke gratitude and closeness. Now, I know there's also things in your life and mine where it seems that God is not answering, that he has not moved for us, and more on that in a minute. But what we know and what Jesus teaches us here is that prayer actually moves the hand of God, right? Your prayers actually do move God's hands. Um, in The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard wrote this. It's a long quote, but I think it's a good one. God's response to our prayer is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when only he is doing what he was going to do anyways. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. God is great enough that he can conduct his affairs in this way. His nature, identity, and overarching purpose are no doubt unchanging. But his intentions with regard to many particular matters that concern individual human beings are not. This does not diminish him far from it. He would be a lesser God if he could not change his intentions when he thinks it is appropriate. And if he chooses to deal with humanity in such a way that he will occasionally think it's appropriate, that is just fine. God moves in response to our prayers. It does not diminish him, it makes him grander, right? But what about unanswered prayers? Well, sometimes we think we're asking for an egg when we're really asking for a scorpion. <laughs> Of course, God doesn't want us to have a scorpion, but he is patient and he wants us to not want one either, right? So let me talk to you about this for a minute. There are times when we pray for something or someone or a circumstance that we believe we are asking for the best possible thing for our life, when in reality, God knows we're asking for a scorpion and he doesn't want to give us a scorpion, right? And so this is the reality of prayer that in some way, prayer changes us. Because if we are persistent and bold and shameless in our requests before God, if we are moving towards him and we continue to ask for God to do something and he's like, nah, it's not what's best for you. But keep coming, keep asking, keep coming to me and what will happen as you do is he will transform your desires. He will change you to no longer be the kind of person that is asking for scorpion, but one that's asking for the egg. Because that is his orientation towards you. He wants to move to your best interest. And sometimes, even though we think we know what's best, we don't. But he says, that's okay. 
You don't have to have the perfect words, the perfect phrase, or the perfect ritual for prayer. Just keep moving towards me, and I will shape that in you. Now, there are other times when we ask for something good, something to be, someone to be healed, safety, rescue. And I want to tell you that I don't have all the answers here. And anyone who says that they do is wrong. <laughs> Remember the beginning of the prayer, holy is your name. Ether, you are a being that is unfathomable. You, you are so other than I. Your thoughts are so greater than mine. We have to have an orientation of prayer in that regards. Otherwise, we're gonna constantly think that we know better than God. There are some things that I just flat out don't understand. There are prayers that I have prayed for people to be healed and they were not healed. Marriages to be restored and they were not restored. People to come to sanity and they never came to sanity, right? Like there are times when I have leaned into prayer and been like, God, where are you? Now, there's a story about one of the patriarchs of our faith. His name's Jacob. And he actually got a chance to get in a wrestling match with God. And um, he said something that I, I hope and pray for you will be um, words for your life through your times of suffering and struggle. He refused to stop wrestling with God until God blessed him. I encourage you in those moments, in those places where it seems like God is not answering your prayers. He's silent. He's not moving on your behalf in the way that I just said he would and that Jesus says he would. Don't stop wrestling with God. I could tell you of all the ways and all the things he has spoken to me in the hospital rooms, sitting with people on their deathbed that have brought peace to my soul. But those were for me. You have to take the things you are wrestling with to him as well but don't stop until he blesses you. Be persistent, be bold, and be shameless. Now, I mentioned earlier that there was a communal reality to this prayer. The grammar, our father, <laughs> to be correct, literally means we need to be praying together. Here's a, a simple point. God wants us to pray together. <laughs> the prayer stresses our sense of togetherness, right? Right? Because something happens when we pray with one voice. What happens is we re reinforce that we have the same goal, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and the same needs, provision, forgiveness, guidance, protection. Right? It's unifying when we pray together. So this whole series has been about taking practical things, or big ideas, sorry, and making them practical. So here's three very simple practical ways you can respond this week and in the weeks to come. Number one, pray all the time. There's a verse that literally says pray without ceasing. There's all these verses in the Bible where sometimes we see these long, beautiful and eloquent prayers and then sometimes we're like, that prayer couldn't have lasted more than a microsecond. <laughs> like, sometimes they're raw and they're you know, arguing with God and they're angry and sometimes they're of thanksgiving and joy. But the reality is, is God actually wants you to talk with him all the time. Not just in the big moments, the peaks of your life, but in the mundane moments. 
when you're on that run and you don't think you can get from mile six to mile seven, right? When you're changing diapers for the 75th time in the week. <laughs> um, or when you're about to walk into that big meeting and you're scared. When you're in the middle of an argument with your spouse. Or when you're trying to communicate why evil happens in the world to your three-year-old. <laughs> Pray at all times. God is near. He desires you to draw near to him. Pray for others. Another practical one. Not very complicated here, guys. Pray for other people. I'd encourage you this week to write down five names. You don't have to know what's going on in their life or not. Just write them down. Maybe set an alarm on your phone, something to remind you um, to pray for them. And just pray for them. No agenda, right? Just pray for them. Watch what God does in your heart. Watch what God does in their life. And third, pray together. The statistics are kind of staggering if your marriage is struggling. What happens when you begin to pray together and for each other, right? Things begin to shift and change because what we said earlier, it, it begins to align us. It begins to heal us. It begins to remind us that we, are, um, we have the same goal. We have the same needs. We need provision and forgiveness and guidance and protection. But also there are times, and even this week, where I needed somebody to come alongside of me and pray with me over something because I didn't know what to do. But God worked through them to speak to me, right? Sometimes I just want to give words, just want to tell people what to do because I kind of teach and that's part of what I do, right? But when a friend of mine says, can we just stop and pray? It's like, ah, yes, <laughs> let's do that. Trying to make a big decision of your life. Pray with someone. Pray together. Seek God's will together. Ask together. Pray all the time. Pray for others and pray together. Okay. We're going to end today by actually doing that, praying together. We're going to do so, like I said earlier, by reciting the Lord's Prayer as recorded in Matthew. Would you do a favor? Would you stand with me? Um, and the words are going to appear on the screen. And we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together with hopefully a deeper meaning that will resonate in our souls. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen? Amen. Sure love you guys. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you Sunday.